This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. In person in the Big Apple, episode number 35 of the show before the show. 36? I think it's 35. <laughs> Let's go with 35. We, this happened like, well, it was like episode 28. I forgot what it was. And every <laughs> ensuing episode since. Yeah. Well, I'll count us in, and then I forget immediately. I'll go, all right, three, two, Sam, what is this, episode 32? Yeah. And then we have to check and see. It's a, it's a very regular thing. If this thing. is still in the podcast, you know it's right, exactly. 35. Then you know so. it's 35, or else I you know, just left it in to right. showcase my own idiocy. It's the, uh, the Tyler Mon Sam Dykstra Hour, the minor league baseball podcast, the show before the show, in which I talk like a moron, and we listen to how smart Sam is. And we get to do it in person this week. We had a week off last week. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. And uh, today we're doing it. We've got a, a window cracked, so you can hear the New York City ambiance in the background. We'll have a nice, long, sustained honk later during Benjamin Hill's interview. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, but it's good. What's going on? Uh, I'm good. How was the holiday? It was good. It good. was uh, yeah. Everything went well. To update people on the race, it went really well. I embarrassed my mom a lot by good. wearing that low number. So awesome. That, was, that worked out. <laughs> um, yeah, I got nice and full. Watched the football, all that stuff. How was the trip over here? It was good. It was good. It's been good. I get to hang out with my niece, um, which is always awesome. She's one and a half, and I think it's like sort of figuring out who I am now, which is yeah, fairly cool. Yeah. So I'm um, into that. And um, yeah, you know, it's. My family, we do an entire full Italian dinner before the turkey on Thanksgiving. Oh, okay. So we have like a full portion of like lasagna and meatballs and sausage and pork and all that stuff. So I'm already at like 100% capacity and then the turkey <laughs> and 22 side dishes oh, my word. come out. So yeah, no, it was, uh, it was fantastic. It's very, uh, very gluttonous. Um, but we are, we are back. It feels like a very extended break because that's the first time that we've taken a week off since we started the show back before the, uh, the beginning of the 2015 season and a whole lot of news to get to. So we're going to dive right into three strikes here uh, in this first week of December, our first podcast of December. And we're really excited for today's guest, who is going to be our topic of conversation in Strike One, the all-time minor league home run king, Mike Hessman, will join the show coming up a little bit later on today. Mike Hessman, he of the 433rd home run, which broke the uh, all-time minor league home run record that came this past August. He finished off his career in September. We found out this week when he tweeted that he was going to be hanging up his, uh, his spikes and trading in his bat for a fungo, as he said. We have since learned that Mike Hessman will be moving into a coaching role with the Detroit Tigers organization. There's a whole lot of anticipation, and you'll hear in the interview later on, we asked, have you been in contact with teams? What's the, what's the yeah. next step going to be for you? And he said, yeah, I have. Can't talk about it yet. And then it was like three hours later, we found out he's going to the Connecticut Tigers, which is really cool. We really wanted him to break the news on the podcast, which I guess but is not no. a great idea, considering the podcast <laughs> was coming out days later. But yeah, congrats to Mike. Yeah. He officially got that job. You know, When I was asking him, coaching could be anywhere. It could be a high school team. It could be developing, you know... Uh, 
local talent could bet any of those things. So to land on his feet back in the minors, get right back into it, meaning we get to talk to him right. when the New York Penn League starts up again. Um, hopefully it will be one of our first interviews. So that's exciting for us. It's exciting for him. Very Good exciting. Congratulations to Mike. He'll join the Class A short season Connecticut Tigers in the New York Penn League. And Sam, what is Mike Hessman's legacy? When, when we encapsulate Mike Hessman as a career, and I wanted to say to him when we got done with the interview yesterday, which, again, you'll hear coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so, uh, it's probably the first interview his entire career in which nobody uttered the words Crash Davis. But that's, <laughs> that's how people think I of Mike Hessman. I take pride in that. Yeah, yeah. I know. Oh, same here. That's how people think of Mike Hesman. He's the real-life Crash Davis, quote-unquote. He broke the minor league home run record. Uh, there is a, a sizable portion of people who I, I don't think even realize Mike had a bunch of separate calls to the major leagues. He played in the Japanese major leagues with the Oryx Buffaloes uh, over in Nippon Professional Baseball. So I think there he's slighted a little bit in that people don't realize that. There's also this crowd and... We, you know, I mean, we're, we're just reporters. We don't really take sides on things. But there's this crowd that, to me, is just overly narcissistic and, and annoying in, well, you broke the minor league home run record. That's like winning the NIT. That was one of the comments yeah, that we I, got I, in response to a tweet. Come on. I hate The guy made so 20 years right. a career in professional baseball. Come on. Re- meaning people wanted him back. Right. It's exactly. not like year he after like signed year after up year. and just said, like, okay, right. I'm playing baseball this year. Right. He had to find teams that were willing to sign him year after year after year. It's not just showing up Japan. on Black Friday. Like, he was just there, and so they gave him yeah, a job. Yeah, it's, like, it's not a home run derby where you show up to your local diamond right. and just be like, I'm going to hit 433 homers. Right. You had to find people willing to take him on. Just the persistency. For You're asking, 20 years. Right. You, and, and at that point where you are in the minors and you realize you are kind of a quad a player, which he right. is like, there's no argument about that, but you have to be persistent about it. You have to know that, like, listen, this might, might not be my year, but I'm going to try again. Right. And you'll hear him talk about it in the interview, and he says, you know, just now he doesn't have to put in that work anymore and how much kind of a relief that is. But that is a lot of off-season workouts, getting your body ready, a lot of times being a free agent, you know, trying to show off for teams, showing that you still have that power, that you can still, uh, you know, hit the ball a, a country mile like he did this year, even with Toledo. Um, and, and the thing that sticks with me, too, is his personality. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you'll hear it. We heard it this year. We've heard it in the past with him. Just teams like bringing him back because he's a good leader in the clubhouse. Once he got to that age where he was a veteran, right. he was already a coach. He was already you know your, your second, third hitting coach, whatever it may be. So now he's going to move into that role. Officially, the Tigers saw it firsthand. Now they get to see officially how it does and yeah, like I said, I'm excited to see what he can do with the, with the young players and what he'll do with those guys. Hitting 450-ish home runs in minor league baseball is almost more impressive than doing it at the major league level because you go through so much more. I, and again, and we, we use it often, even though it's a term I think all of us hate, but the grind of minor league baseball, of the bus trips, of the hotels, of the meals, of the salary that you're making in minor league baseball comparatively to what you'd be making if you were doing something at the major league level, it's almost more impressive to be able to slaw through that and continue to come back continue to bounce back year after year after year and accomplish that than it is at any other level of sports and so for Mike Hessman the legacy is a hell of a legacy to me and that's the most impressive thing about Mike Hessman is it's not only that he was able to put together such an impressive career numbers wise but he's able to do it with that longevity which you never see in minor league baseball these days so it's it's an incredible career yeah and I mean he could have just stuck in Japan and probably would have made a lot more money there and 
he decided to come back to give it another shot in AAA and that kind of stuff. So, and he, and he, you know, you shouldn't feel sorry for him either. He did get his chances in the main. Yeah, right. He did get those tastes. It, it, it's not like... We'll hear about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he, he talked about just hitting that first, you know, major league homer is something he'll always have. Yeah. Which is what the vast majority of minor leaguers never get to taste either. So, he, he got the what really the whole package, even more so, obviously, with the, the record that he'll have. Probably for a very, very long time. I don't know if it'll be broken, you know... In the next couple decades, yeah, maybe in our lifetimes, he hit over 20 home runs in 13 professional seasons, and just a, a remarkable career for Mike Hasman. And a big congratulations to him. And again, you'll hear from him. Uh, we're doing kind of a post mortem on his career and on his uh, on the interview, but you'll hear the interviewer coming up in in 10 minutes or so. Uh, strike two this week, Sam. Organization All Stars continuing. We took a brief pause in those, but we are continuing. Uh, I know I've got two left. Um, we've got a handful coming up uh, this week and on into next week, and then through the end of the month, our final one is uh, the Washington Nationals on the 23rd of December rolling through in alphabetical order. And this week, two organizations that in recent years have become known, obviously, for uh, a lot more spending at the major league level rather than building from the minor league ranks. But now really starting to come along in that regard. It's the New York Yankees and the Philadelphia Phillies. There's some really exciting pieces in both. What I think has been really fun to watch is the way that these fan bases have embraced homegrown guys over the last yeah. few seasons. But if you looked at these two systems right now, who stacks up better to you? Who has the brighter future among these two teams? Uh, when I initially thought about this, it's kind of, I kind of want to go with the Phillies just because they have that really top talent. J.B. Crawford, Aaron Nola mm-hmm. you know, graduated this year. I really like what they did with that Cole Hamels yeah, trade. They, stocked, they took some of the best prospects from a very deep Ranger system, and now they're on their side. Nick Williams, Jorge Alfaro, you know, the list goes on for that, that group. But I really, looking at this Yankees organization All-Stars, I really like what the Yankees have right yeah. now because it's right on the cusp. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gary Sanchez, we've talked about him plenty this fall league season. He, I know he didn't end up winning the fall league MVP, but he was the fall league MVP for me. Yeah. For whatever that's yeah, very close. Yeah. He's, he's very and close. so you saw what, what happened with Greg Bird this year, and he kind of replaced Teixeira, who went through his own injury. And Yankees fans embraced him because he, so, he did better in the majors than he did at AAA. Mm-hmm. And then you just keep going down the list. I mean, Jorge Mateo, he's down at the bottom there, but he led the minors in stolen bases this year. 82, we'll get to him in a little bit. Uh, Aaron Judge is another guy. Didn't quite do it at AAA, but just has monster power. Um, So these aren't necessarily franchise players yet, but they're good pieces that I think the Yankees can plug in. And going forward, you know, I think they'll make the Yankees a better team rather than going out and signing big-time free agents like they did with Ellsbury, McCann, you know, whatever. That's been one of the most fascinating things is the way these big market teams have gone from even the teams that are still spending a ton of money are loaded with talent now because you look at, well, I mean, obviously these two clubs and the way they've spent in the past, but the Boston Red Sox just gave David Price, like, the GDP of a small (laughs) nation – they're loaded with talent minor league-wise. The Dodgers have a payroll of billions of dollars, and they're loaded at the minor league level. So right. that's been really cool. We no longer really see these major league organizations that have just combed through and, and raked their minor league systems over the coals in order to acquire major league talent. Even the teams that spend big still have a lot of those prizes behind them. Maybe the, the Angels are about the exception of that rule right now, but that's been really, really cool to see. Um, strike three, Sam. This is uh, uh, the latest in your pieces that are some of my favorites, but speed scores, a, a piece you wrote this week uh, for the site on speed scores, some of the best speed and talent in minor league baseball. There's a difference between it's one of uh, our, our good pals, Brett Phillips, of the, the Brewers organization. One of the things that he told me last year, that's kind of always the way that I explain how speed plays in baseball. He said, 
prior to the 2014 season, he was really good at running fast in a straight line. And then he had to figure out a way to be more flexible. That was one of the things the Astros, when he was an Astros prospect at the time, really wanted him to work on. There's a big difference between being fast and being fast on a baseball field. So yeah. take us through this story. So the way speed scores kind of work is that we like, like you said, like there's many ways you can measure speed. You can do 40 time. You can do if you're a scout, you scout how fast they go from home to first on a hit, whatever. This is kind of a way of boiling it down based on triples, based on stolen bases, caught stealing, and runs. And it's a mix, it's a four component thing. I, I implore you, if you're listening right now, check out the story. I write about it much better than I can explain it <laughs> over the microphone. But the way it works, it's a zero to 10. Generally, anything above seven is an excellent. So this isn't quite like a, a you know an A score, B score, C score type thing. Uh, this year, Anthony Ghost led the the majors with a seven and a half. David Ortiz was last at zero point nine. So that's the major type we're talking about here. Now in the minors, it's actually bigger, a bigger berth because you know the, you have these guys who are just so fast and they're going up against catchers who are not so good in the lower levels. So when I went through and I just limited this to top 100 prospects because it's just easier to plug all the numbers in. But the guys who led top 100 prospects in speed score were Yon Mankata and Jorge Mateo, who both had 8.8. I think Mankata was slightly above that, which is insane. That's, that's nuts. Yeah, that's just such a high speed score. But the way that worked out, Mateo, like I said before, led the minors this year in stolen bases with 82, had tons of runs, 11 triples. Those are just all stats that speed score shines on really, really well. Moncada was incredibly efficient at stealing bases, was 49 and 52. And I think that what played into that was as he got later into the year at Greenville, saw that I can run whenever I want. And he just kept going. 45 of his steals came in this final 56 games. Only four came in the first 25. So that's just a confidence. Once thing. you get exactly, once you get that confidence where you know you can pick your spot and go, especially for guys right. at that level at that age, then from there it's just all building on that. Yeah, and he was at he was at the lowest full season level. Right. So I think he knew he could run on these guys and that's essentially what happened. So that's what we're talking about here. What I what I like to do with this kind of stuff because we have actually speed grades through MLB pipeline. They all give these guys run tool grades on a 20 to 80 scale. So it's a slightly different scale, so I want to get it all in the same thing. So I use uh, standard deviation and mean, and it, what it essentially does is it gets everything on a scale of what is this, how far are they away from the mean speed score and mean uh, run tool grade. And the guys who actually overperformed were a lot of uh, rookies, a lot of guys who were drafted this year. And I think part of that goes into, you know, these are guys who eventually will be average runners in the minors, but they get into the Gulf Coast leagues, the Arizona leagues, the you know New York Pens, what have you. And they realize they can just go, and they're going to keep going and going. You know, uh, Daz Cameron was one of those guys. He he had the biggest difference between. He's considered a 55 runner, fairly average, but he had an 8.7 speed score. So I think the Astros going forward, you know, are going to try to get him to run as much, but don't expect that going forward. What normally happens with this stuff is. I would trust the scouting grades over the speed scores. Right, guys regress a little bit. I mean, yeah. you're not going to see these wild vacillations between the two extremes, but still, it gives you an idea of the potential of these guys going forward. Right, yeah. But the one guy that really stood out to me, uh, he was the only full-season guy in the top five was Max Kepler, uh -huh. who we've talked about a lot in, yeah. in terms of his breakout ability this year. Um, you know, he had a 7.2 speed score, which was higher than anything else he's done in his career. Surprise, surprise, there were so many career highs this right. year. And... Uh, 
you know, between what he showed in power, what he showed in average, and now speed, he's just I, I'm excited to see what he can do. He's probably going to be a Triple A to start next year, but is that going to carry over? We'll see. He is a very fun talent, Max Keller. He's one of those guys I'm excited to watch in 2016. Uh, so that's three strikes for this week's edition of Minor League Baseball, the show before the show podcast, and we are super excited for our guest on this week's episode of the show. The all-time minor league home run king, Mike Hessman, joins the show to look back on his uh, phenomenal career, which is wrapped up after the 2015 campaign, sets the minor league home run record, and he has turned in uh, his playing career for a coaching career. He will start with the Connecticut Tigers. After Mike, we'll hear from Benjamin Hill. A couple more rebrands to get to. Winter meetings are coming up, so we'll be hearing about that as well. And then we'll be back to wrap this thing up. Mike Hessman joins the show next. It's not often that we get to bring guys on to the show who are uh, some of the, the real titan names in all of minor league baseball, but we get to do that today on the 35th edition of the show before the show. As the all-time minor league home run king, Mike Hessman joins us from South Carolina, where we made the mistake of asking what the weather was like there compared to what it is here. So it seems like uh, retirement has got to be treating you pretty well, Mike, because it's in the 70s and sunny, and uh, and that's you know the sun shining on the, the next step in your career. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, we've, we've had a beautiful day here, that's for sure. Well, Mike, let's dive into just this last uh, few days for you. Uh, you made the announcement on Twitter. It was actually your first tweet ever. Um, so I have to ask you: Did you send the tweet, or did you have somebody type out the tweet and send it? Because it's that's a big moment. No, I, I did. I mean, I had a few <laughs> people asking me what I was going to do this and that. I didn't really know what the best bet was, so I was like, Yeah, I'm going to. You know, I'm new to the whole social media thing, so I was like, well, I'm going to try to send a tweet out. That might just be the best bet, you know, and everyone can see it, I guess. And, uh, well, I wasn't expecting the response that that I got from it. So uh, I appreciate everybody's kind words and thoughts and uh, things like that. And just been, uh, it's been a hectic couple of days, but it's been, uh, it's been awesome. What has the whole process been like for you getting into this offseason? I mean, it was this summer you broke the all-time minor league home run record uh, with number 433, uh, and that alone is a, an accomplishment that you could ride into the sunset on. But, um, you know, year after year, there's always that drive. There's always that desire to come back and lace them up again and go through spring training and do all that. What was it this year that led you to decide that it was time to, to hang it up? Um. You know, I've obviously loved playing the game. Um, you know, it's kind of crossed my mind the last couple of years. Um, more so this year, obviously, it's, it's set in a little more. Uh, just battling the injuries and trying to keep your body in check and the bus rides and the travel and just the grind of it all. Uh, you know, and then I, I had an opportunity to come back to Toledo and get reunited with uh, uh, my manager, Larry Parrish, and hitting guy, Leon Bull Durham. And uh, having an opportunity to go back there and, and play for those guys for a few more years, man, I, I couldn't pass that up. So it was awesome to get back together with them. And then, uh, you know, obviously I, I don't play the game for the, the numbers or the records or anything like that. Just been extremely blessed to be able to uh, reach that number, you know, and get that record broken and uh, extremely thankful for it. But, again, the last couple of years I've been uh, kind of contemplating knowing that it was getting closer and closer. And, uh, Mike, I remember we talked at one point this season, I think it was when you tied the record, you would say at, at the the end of the career, you know, when you were done, you would take some time and look back on everything, and you weren't going to allow that to happen until you would finally announce that you were retiring. And now with that announcement, have you taken any time to look back at your career, you know, look at all the homers, all the numbers? I know you say you don't do it for that, but have you taken that time to look back at what, what you've accomplished in your career? 
No, uh, no, not yet. <laughs> I haven't had the. Uh, I don't know. It was something that I've never really paid a lot of uh, focus or attention to. Uh, I just wanted to go out there and, and enjoy playing the game and play it the right way. But uh, with this past year, um, with the record and things like that, I have come across a lot of cool stuff, and some people have given me a lot of cool things. And uh, I got a, a binder full of some stuff to, to go through and check out. And uh, I saw some old scorecards that got flashed through Twitter and things like that with some old teammates. So it definitely brought back a bunch of old memories. And um, I'll definitely, uh, when I get some time, I'll definitely sit back and kind of uh, hash it all over again. Mike, one of the really cool things was when you made the announcement, I mean, you kind of noted it a minute ago, the reaction was there immediately. Um, and it was neat to see not just from fans, but from members of the the baseball media who have covered you through your entire career. I mean, I know there were writers tweeting out scorecards uh, of games that they had covered of yours all the way back in the, you know, the late 90s after you were drafted and that sort of stuff. What has that reaction meant to not only get so much reaction from the fans and the people who have watched you, watched you through your entire career, to hear from guys who you've played with, or guys that you've played against or, uh, you know, administrators or coaches or, or people in the media, um, the embrace of your career, what has that felt like over these last few days? Uh, it's so awesome, you know. Um, obviously, you don't get a lot of that playing in the minor leagues or, or hear a lot about that type of stuff, but um, for that many people to kind of take notice and to see what took place and, uh, you know, just reaching out for the career that I had, it, it means a, it means a lot to me. I'm, I'm very thankful for uh, everyone that's reached out. And uh, like you said, I've heard from a lot of old teammates and uh, started making some new contacts through baseball and different people. And uh, it's just been a great process. And, and when, when you made the announcement in um, part of the tweet, you said it was time to swipe out a bat for a fungo. I was kind of wondering, you know, as you're looking to mo make a move into coaching, where are you looking to coach? And a as a guy who, you know, has performed so well, well and so long at the pro level, what's the biggest thing you think you can pass on to to hitters, you know, at any level going forward? Um, just the persistency, the uh, trying to stay consistent day in and day out, making sure that you got a, uh, a routine, a game plan. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's a grind plan playing 142, 160 games, whatever it may be. Um, so just trying to, to help kids uh, develop a game plan, develop an approach, um, and just kind of get them on the right track and kind of share what I had to do to make sure that I was ready ready to play the game and ready to compete day in and day out and, uh, you know, pass along some uh, just a, a lot of the good times and good memories that I've had and, and uh, struggles and things like that. So hopefully they can learn from that take something from it and um i do look forward to staying in the game um hopefully coaching and uh working with the younger kids coming up through the game now and trying to uh, help their career so that they can move on and uh hopefully become major league ball players and have any offers come in yet since you since you made that announcement or are you just kind of sitting back and enjoying uh, for now yeah no I, i've talked to a few people i can't get into the uh the details of it all right now but uh I've had some good conversations with a couple clubs and uh you know like I said I'm looking forward to staying in the game and uh just can't get into the the ins and outs of details of it yet <laughs> <laughs>
Mike, you, uh, I mean, obviously the big moment of this season was August 4th. You broke the home run record, uh, hit a grand slam to do it, which was pretty cool in itself. But you've had a ton of really cool moments throughout your career. Um, I mean, you've made major league appearances with the Braves, the Tigers, the Mets, the Astros, the Reds. A lot of people probably don't know you played in Japan as well for the Oryx Buffaloes over there. What are some of the moments in your career that stand out? Because not many guys at any level get a career that spans, you know, three decades and, and 20 total seasons. Um, but when you look back, what are going to be some of the memories that you hold dear? because it's probably a lot different from the inside than it is from the outside. But what are some of those things that you'll carry into the coaching side of things? Um, well, obviously, the uh, my first major league hit, you know, was a home run off Mike Stanton. Uh, your first hit in the big league is always special. Uh, your first call-up, um, you'll never forget that as well. Uh, winning a couple championships in Toledo was awesome. Uh, we, we had a, amazing teams in 05 and 06. Uh, 05, I had to win close to 90 games in the minor leagues, which is extremely hard and rare. Um, you know, there's a handful of home runs that stick out, obviously. Um, you know, I like to just kind of sit back and realize that I've been all over the world because of the game. You know, I've been to, done all the uh, winter balls everywhere. I've been to China. I've been to Australia, Japan, and uh, it's just amazing the games uh, taking me around the world to be able to play. And uh, just like I said, it's extremely thankful and blessed to be able to do it for that long. And I remember when when you did break the record, um, there was a little bit of controversy in that the guy who caught the ball wasn't giving it back yet, and I hadn't seen any update. Um, can you give us any update on that? Hopefully, it's a positive one. Have you been able to get that ball back? No, still don't have the ball. Um, Man, that's... Yeah, the guy wasn't even in the stadium. He was just out on the street and came across it. So um, I don't know a ton of details. I know the mud hens uh, had worked and worked and worked with the guy trying to figure something out and to, uh, you know, offer him a few things for it and, and swap out some stuff for it. But uh, he still still hasn't. I, I don't know what he's done with it yet. So it's just it's. A little bit frustrating. Um, obviously, I kept my bat that I have, and I donated the jersey to the Hall of Fame. So I do have something with it. But, you know, it would always be nice to have that ball. Um, you know, you play this game for that long and, and get that much hard work and dedication into the game. And 20 years old, you'd like his one day's ball, and <laughs> you can't get it back. So, um, yeah, it, it, like I said, it's frustrating. But, you know, I still have some stuff from that game and some equipment from it. So, uh you know, like I said, they they tried to keep me out of the loop. I don't think they wanted to get me, um, I don't know, frustrated, I guess. I'm not, I don't know if I can say frustrated, but uh, just wish it would have worked out. And uh, But I know that the mud hens had done everything they could to, uh, to retrieve that ball and to get it back, but the guy just wasn't willing to, to do anything with it, so. We'll start the social media push, Mike. Yeah. We'll, we'll get we'll get it trending. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. Right here. Yeah, I'd like to have it back. <laughs> Mike, let me ask you this, um, and and we'll get you out of here quickly. I know it's uh, you know the the retired life. I would imagine already feels a lot different um, from what this would have been like if you were getting ready for another season. Um, what have those changes felt like? I mean, obviously it's it's kind of a cool time of year to be able to announce that you get to spend time with family and you get to you know do all the things that the the holiday season brings. But what as a, a retired guy right now feels different um, from maybe how this would have been knowing that you know a few months from now you'll get ready again you'll head to, to spring training wherever it is for a given season um, has it felt a little bit more relaxed have you been doing anything you know taking a little bit more time to you know go hunting yeah. or fishing or whatever that stuff is for the offseason what's it felt like for you yeah it's, it's felt great um, 
you know, I, I honestly haven't stepped foot in a gym yet this off season, so it's kind of <laughs> kind of nice. We're both the <laughs> same way in that regard. Make sure that, yeah, no, you got to make sure you still stay in shape, you know, and not <laughs> not let yourself go. And I was like, I will, but it's been nice to not have to get up early and, and get to that grind and get in there and get get your workouts in and stuff. But uh, I've been doing a lot more lessons this off season than I normally do, so uh, trying to get back to the kids in the area and. Uh, help them with uh, some hitting instruction and uh, been pretty blessed to been able to uh, two days ago we went out and played 36 holes of golf which was extremely nice and uh, had a nice little golf day and then uh, enjoying time with the family um, you know I've been able to uh, daughter's grown so I've been able to take her out to the woods and do a little hunting with her and take her along with me and run around so it's been nice he is the all-time minor league home run king, Mike Hessman, and at the uh, the sunset of a, a really remarkable career. And, uh, I mean, you said it a minute ago, you get to donate your jersey from that, that tie-breaking game, uh, that record-setting game to the Hall of Fame, and uh, a lot of baseball history in that career. Mike, congratulations on a, an unbelievable career, and uh, we'll be obviously talking to you, I'm sure, down the road in a, a coaching capacity. But enjoy this offseason and, uh, and the next chapter in your career, man. Thanks a ton for joining us. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, guys. We came up to the room to record our interview with Ben like 45 minutes ago, and we're finally underway. Hi, Ben. Hi, Tyler. How are you doing? It's really okay. I literally nothing to do in the offseason. I just wait until the season to start. You know, that's how it is for everyone in baseball. We, uh, we had a, uh, a very New York moment today. I stepped onto the L train, and I see this guy walking toward me, and it was you. We got to ride to work as coworkers today. It was amazing. We did. It was a, a tender moment. Yeah. All this talk about non-tendering in the baseball world, and uh, <laughs> this is a very tender moment. Sam, next time we're going to invite you to join. I just, I just you guys planned that on the subway over. Just, just that the whole set up in that punchline. <laughs> we're sitting there the entire time like, okay, what's a good joke we can open with? Yeah. Um, so, uh, well, welcome back. Uh, this is, I mean, we had the week off. You had the vacation a few weeks ago. It's like, it feels like it's been forever, but we, we've missed, I guess, a lot in the, the rebrand refresh offseason, but also... Like, that stuff never gets stale anyway. The most recent one yesterday, the Norfolk Tides come out with a, a new look. And that was a team that I think was you know, pretty sorely in need of one. Um, but they come out with a very nautical-themed refresh. Uh, tell us all about the, the Norfolk look. Yeah, well, you talked about the old look and how the team was in need of a refresh. I would agree with that. And uh, I talked to the general manager in advance of last night's unveiling, uh, Joe Gregory. And uh, he made two good points about the need to change their logo. Um, which had been, you know, just the word tides with kind of a uh, little cresting wave above it. He said, one, you know, tides is not a tangible thing. It's nothing you can touch or feel. So and it's how, a really historic name. Yeah, the very. The Tidewater Tides, I mean, that name has been around for a long time. Right, it goes back some 50-odd years, um, and they were initially the Tidewater Tides, so it did make more sense then. It still makes sense because Norfolk is surrounded by a lot of water and uh, shipbuilding is a huge industry and the Navy and all that. Uh, but, you know, tides being something, you know, that wasn't tangible, that didn't have a really a direct correlation to how you would represent a tide. And two, the primary color scheme was blue, and they were a Mets affiliate for the better part of four decades, but since 2007 they've been with the Orioles. So I think they really, it was long overdue to do something that was very much their own and that didn't have these old uh, New York Mets connotations. Uh, for an affiliation that has not been in effect for the better part of the last decade. So they really changed it up. You know, they work with Brandios, known for being the, the boldest uh, new logo designer in the, in the industry. And they have this new color scheme of, uh, 
you know, jade green, uh, orange, and it's a, uh, a very unique look, mm-hmm. for sure. And they went with a seahorse as what will represent the tides going forward. And uh, Joe Gregory, again, who's the GM, said that they soon hope to expand into a galaxy of sea characters. And I'm not sure what that means, that they're going to have a lot of specific new logos. But for right now, it's a, a seahorse uh, holding a trident where the, the three tips of the trident kind of form a letter N. And uh, an alternate, or a road cap uh, with that's an anchor, an N-shaped anchor wrapped in chains, and that represents, again, the nautical theme and uh, the shipbuilding industry and all that stuff. So it's a pretty bold look. The color scheme is very unique. Um, I think it's going to take some getting used to for a lot of people, but one thing that I think is really not debatable or not easily debatable is that they needed something new. So I think it's a great move just in that this was a team that was long overdue in updating its look. Yeah, and kind of move. Since the last time we talked, too, the Louisville Bats updated their look a little bit, put in red to – you were talking before about affiliate changes and how, the, you know, the, as a Reds affiliate, they kind of needed that red look. You know, what were your thoughts on what the Bats did kind of quickly? Well, that was another team that I think was just really in need of an update. They had this uh, purple and black color scheme, which – calls to mind the Rockies of anything but they're a Reds affiliate and they play in the state of Ohio and um, the old logo was uh, you know very kind of abstract looking um, and now the bat has a little more life a little more character and um, you know it's it's a more conservative logo um, but again one that was really overdue and I think going to the Reds colors to represent the you know affiliate and uh, having a bat that has a little more character is I think a great move. Ben, there was a, a really good one of the best stories I think of the off season so far. Um, you put together a batting around column that laid out all the dominoes that fall from basically one move. Uh, the the New Britain Rockcats will be the Hartford Yard Ghosts in 2016, and it seems like that's just something that happens. It's a move. There was obviously you wrote a bunch of stories about kind of the way that the the New Britain community felt about it. The people who were upset about the name, or the people who were upset about the move, the people who were excited about the name, excited about the move. But as your lead in that story said nothing in baseball happens in a vacuum and the amount of dominoes that fall just predicated on new britain's move was fascinating take us through how that how you uncovered all of that and and just kind of the the way that all of those pieces come together yeah you know it's tough writing for minorleaguebaseball.com milb.com in an official capacity and that we don't want to write about things too much before they happen and engage in speculation and rumors, but we do need to keep track of what might happen and batting around is a good way. You know, I call it locally sourced. So I write that column based on, um, you know, really just uh, looking around, uh, use Twitter as a good source, just making sure I can compile links from local media and keep track of what's happening. Um, so in the case of so there's the New Britain Rockcats. They moved to Hartford. Therefore, New Britain Stadium is empty, and New Britain wants a team, you know, an independent team. Meanwhile, the Camden River Sharks, their lease is not renewed, and they basically dissolve as a franchise. So a new Atlantic League independent franchise then moves into the void in New Britain that was created when the Rockcats went to the Yard Goats. Then you have... Camden's uh, Campbell Field open. Which is beautiful. A beautiful field that was had been home to an independent league team. And then you start to hear, well, that's you know in the New York Penn League footprint and might a New York Penn League team move there. And that's where we are now. No one is talking about it officially, but we do have some, um, you know, the stadium is owned by uh, the city of Camden, and we do have some Camden County officials saying 
with no detail, but we are talking to interested parties um, in uh, who might be interested in moving a team to Camden. Um, the speculation is that it's the New York Penn League. Uh, Camden is in the Phillies' territory, so if it's an affiliated team, they'd have to... Uh, um, you know, waive their territorial rights, and then it becomes so. What New York Penn League team could move to uh, Camden, and then you go to the usual suspects of the classic New York Penn League markets that have a lot of history, but unfortunately don't have the fan support. So this is total speculation, but you start to think: Could Batavia finally move? Uh, Auburn, perhaps Williamsport. Those are the ones that get thrown around. You know, I want to again emphasize that this is all you know, speculation, but with a beautiful field in Camden uh, available, it seems likely that some New York Penn League ownership group in an underperforming market is going to really strongly consider the move to Camden and therefore add yet another state to the New York Penn League, which already has, I think, six states right now. So the New York Penn is very much a misnomer at this point, but they're not going to make it the New York Penn, Ohio, uh, Vermont, Massachusetts, et cetera, et cetera, league. There's only a couple of leagues that are geographically named that stick with that geogra- Like the Cal League is fine. The Florida State League is fine. Everybody else, yeah, the Texas League, like they, they're all over the place there in Oklahoma and Arkansas. They're just not, we're not accurate anymore. Sam, fire yeah, so uh, after, you know, we've looked back so far, but look, kind of looking forward, you're going to the winter meetings next week in Nashville. You're going to have a couple new job seekers this year. You know, that's one of your series every year. You bring a, a bunch of new talent looking for jobs down at the winter meetings. What What is this crop looking like? Yeah, I mean, so my winter meetings angle in general, you know, is you go to the winter meetings and you see these hordes of media and, uh, you know, they're all writing almost all about the major league side and the player moves, and obviously that's the, the big sexy stuff that goes down. But I'm just trying to cover more the nuts and bolts of what's really happening um, that most people are focusing on that might not be as exciting. And, of course, one of those elements is the PBEO job fair where hundreds of people every year come to the winter meetings trying to get their foot in the door. And since 2012, I've recruited four job seekers to write about their experiences, and it's become uh, something I really enjoy, enjoy doing. Um, you know, recruiting these individuals and then getting to know them during the winter meetings, giving them a platform to tell their stories, and it's so competitive that it can really only help, you know, to be telling your story every day and having people in the, in the industry, at least some of them certainly following along. Uh, so this year I've got a, a new crop of job seekers. They'll be uh, debuted on Friday, right around the time this podcast goes live. So um, got four this year, and uh, I think it's a pretty interesting group. We have a guy, uh, Jim Angel. I've never said these people's these people's names out loud, so I hope I'm pronouncing their names right. But he, uh, this guy Jim is 52 years old. Uh, got laid off from um, a corporate job that he worked at for almost two decades, and he's committed to uh, restarting his life in baseball and relocating, and obviously taking a pay cut and everything that entails. So I think he should be an interesting story. Uh, we have a woman named Tori Payne, who's kind of from the Nashville area, a recent attendee of the uh, diversity symposium hosted. Um, you know, it, right in the Nashville area as well. Uh, we have a real strong marketing background. Uh, we have a man named Will Prevett, um, who achieved viral fame a few years back when he uh, stormed the court in his wheelchair at, I believe, an NC State game, got knocked over and then saved by one of the players, and that, that became a viral story. So we get to see what he's up to. And we have a young man, a Vince Scully acolyte, who seems very wise beyond his years, uh, David Lauterbach. I believe is how you would say his name. I'll learn all this uh, in Nashville. Um, you look at his picture, and he looks barely out of high school, but um, his writing is really impressive, and he seems um, you know, one to watch. And, you know, Tyler, you, you've got the broadcasting background. I'd like to include at least one broadcaster in every uh, Job Seeker journal, and that's 
in a hyper-competitive industry, that might even be the most uh, competitive job. So all through the week, uh, we'll have a story on MILB.com on Friday, introducing all these people, and then all through the winter meetings, they'll be providing daily updates on their experience on my blog, you know, Ben's Biz blog. It's a fascinating thing. I went to the winter meetings uh, to try to find a job. My senior year in college, I actually went, and uh, it's it's a very cool place to watch a whole bunch of 22-year-olds in brand-new suits from Men's Warehouse run <laughs> around. So it's uh, if you get a chance, if you're looking for a job in baseball and you get a chance to go, it's a really cool experience. And uh, follow Benjamin Hillies on Twitter at Ben's Biz, and you can follow the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And, of course, that stuff coming up on milb.com as well. Ben and I also solved all the world's problems on our walk to the office from the L train today, so it was good to do that with you. We did. America is on the upswing. Yeah. now that we had a heart-to-heart uh, -heart talk about the problems afflicting our nation and what we're going to do about it. So uh, look forward to an era of world peace coming soon. Vote Hillmon 2020. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Putting a fitting Christmas bow on the 35th edition or whatever we determine it is of minor <laughs> league baseball show before the show podcast. Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra. Um, so cool to get a chance to talk to Mike Hessman. And he was so, you could tell that he just spoke with the relief of a guy who knows that he's closed the book on it. Which yeah. Is hopefully neat. you guys could hear you yeah. know, wherever you're listening to this, but it, having talked to him in the past, you know, talked to him in the middle of the season and then hearing him yesterday, it just, it, it sounded like so much was off his shoulders and, and, uh, I, I think the the funniest moment of that was just hearing his excitement of talking about golf. Yeah. He's officially a retired person. <laughs> golf and, then, and not yeah. going to the gym. Yeah, I got in 36 <laughs> hours of, or 36 holes of golf. I'm, I'm good. Uh, that's all I need. Um, so, yeah, congrats again to him, and uh, we thank him very much for joining us. That Absolutely. Was, that was a great interview. Yeah, big congratulations to Mike. And uh, for Benjamin Hill, headed off to the winter meetings. Um, we were really anxious to read the Job Seeker journals, which, of course, you can find on MILB.com this week and next uh, the story about who those people will be obviously coming out we're recording this on thursday we'll have this to you on friday so you can check out the uh, profiles of the 2015 job seekers and their journals will be forthcoming as well and uh if you are headed to the winter meetings enjoy uh we'll have some more discussion and conversation with ben obviously about that as the uh show before the show moves into the month of december and uh which is ridiculous uh, we're also of course obviously in the middle of hot stove season um undoubtedly we will have more things to be talking about as it comes to prospects who are probably going to be headed to some different locales because that is a, a thing that comes along with the winter meetings and and along with this time of year so um you know it's that's the exciting part about this it's also i would imagine one of the stressful parts of this season for prospects for guys who could potentially be in that situation we've right. seen the stories who are the guys who are likely or possibly could be traded so it comes with a little bit of uh, of craziness for those guys too right now yeah i can just imagine what it was like for like manuel margo yeah and his name was yeah. bandied around a lot and then you have that band-aid pulled off when he got he got traded so i you know we, maybe we'll talk later in the off season with some of these guys just hearing what it's like to go through that process and you can imagine what it's like when you're a major leaguer because it, your name is on MLB trade rooms right. all the time. But right. now when you're seen as a piece, as an asset, that type of thing, it's a completely different experience. Before we uh, get booted out of this room, Sam, it is so good to do a podcast with you. Yeah, I know. This, this, this was fun. This was a good one here. today. Yeah. Riding in the train with Ben <laughs> and getting him to sit next to you and 45 minutes of computer problems later. No, it was a good one. And uh, until next week when, uh, you know, again, we'll have some more winter meetings discussion and all that, uh, this was a, a pleasure as always. Yes. And if you're going to Nashville, enjoy all the barbecue yeah, for us. Yeah. Have fun with the barbecue and the blues music. And uh, go check out the home of the Nashville Sounds because we've heard that it is amazing for those of us who haven't been there yet. So... Uh, until next week, enjoy uh, enjoy winter meeting time around the world of baseball, and we'll talk to you then.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 